0: Hello, everyone. It's Paul.
1: And I'm Kelsey. And this is the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast. How goodness pays can be a successful strategy for good leadership. Our purpose is to spark positivity and what's possible thinking in leaders like you so you can radiate goodness today and every day. Our
0: mission is to spread goodness because goodness pays. I'm Paul Botts, the founder and CEO of Good Leadership Enterprises, and our podcast is being recorded in the Aspiration suite of our offices in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I make my living as an author, executive coach, and professional speaker.
1: And I'm Kelsey meyer Shackle, a leadership coach, consultant, and podcaster. You can find more about us at goodleadership.com, and check us out at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, and you could subscribe on iTunes. As always, we invite you to leave ratings, reviews, and comments. Today we're featuring Amanda Brinkman from the Good Leadership Breakfast that happened just this morning. Paul, will you tell our listeners a little bit more about the Good Leadership Breakfast?
0: Yes, absolutely. Today was an exciting day. We've been doing this for eight and a half years, and last month in April we had uh, we crossed fifteen thousand guests. It's been a spectacular experience, and not only that, but we raised um, reached a total of. Uh, over a quarter million dollars in fundraising through this thing called the Bucket of Goodwill. What we do at the Good Leadership Breakfast is invite speakers who are willing to talk about the intersection of their personal and professional lives and how goodness pays for them.
1: Yes, and tell us why Amanda Brinkman came across your radar.
0: Well, in just a couple minutes, everyone will understand why. She's a person with an immense positivity. Her energy is contagious, and she's got a fabulous story. So I think we should just get into it.
2: Let's do it. Um, So uh, my name is Amanda Brinkman, and I am on a mission to prove that companies can do well by doing good. And I think every moment, every conversation, every person in our life is constantly helping form who we are going to become as people. But we probably all have a couple of those conversations in our life that really change the way you think about something. And they can be words that someone shared with you multiple times. It's something about the way that person said it or the way they framed it changes the way you think about something. And the conversation I was having was with our AP English teacher. I was a junior in high school, and we were talking about what we wanted to do when we grew up. And I was raised in a family where giving back and volunteering and being a good person was very, very important. And it was something that I wanted to do with my career. But I was really, really attracted to kind of the advertising and marketing world. My mom loves to tell the story about how when I was a little girl, um, the, you know, television programs would be on, and I wouldn't pay much attention to the program itself, but as soon as the commercials came on, I was glued to the television. (laughs) Now that I have a young daughter, I get that all kids kind of do that, but um, I knew that I just wanted to go into that. I loved film, I loved production, I loved TV, I just, I loved just that whole industry. But I shared with this professor, he was a professor at Bethel and was teaching um, at Concordia Academy, I shared with him you know, I want to go into advertising and marketing, but I want to do something good, and I feel like the advertising world is just a little secular. Like, I feel like it just kind of has this uh, uh, kind of um, uh, wrapper to it that doesn't feel good. And I remember he said, Amanda, if people who want, or if people who want to do good do not go into advertising and marketing, how will the industry ever get better? And the way he framed that changed the way I thought about it. I was thinking that I needed to join the Peace Corps or become a missionary or a Christian day school teacher in order to put goodness out in the world. And the way he was terming it is, don't wait for an industry or a job to be good. Go into it and make it good yourself. So I did go into advertising. Um, I started at Conewiff in London, um, which is an incredible PR agency. I came back to Minnesota and worked at Campbell-Mathoon and uh, at a great agency called Fallon. And I have to admit, I was all ready to bring goodness to advertising and marketing. But I ended up working at these really phenomenal firms for really big brands, and I was never really conflicted morally. We were never trying to do these terrible ad campaigns that were um, trying to, you know, not be good. But what I realized is during those years, I was learning the building blocks of marketing and advertising. I then moved to the corporate side because I felt like maybe that's where I could um, make a difference. Um, For those of you who have perhaps seen uh, the TED talk that I gave that Paul sent out um, with the registration, I talk a little bit about how I had this defining moment at Fallon um, that really changed the way I thought about it. And I'll summarize it here in in order to not repeat myself. had this just realization that as an industry, advertising and marketing, as a global industry, we spend $500 billion on advertising and marketing. These are dollars that we spend talking about ourselves as companies. And when you think about what $500 billion a year could do for any cause, any sort of research, Um, alleviating homelessness or uh, uh, attacking hunger or water pollution. When you think about what those kind of dollars could do to change the world, it's extremely impactful. And then when you think about the fact that in the advertising and marketing world, we spend a lot of those dollars on skippable ads, things that people don't want to spend time with, things that we're trying to avoid as consumers. And so that's when I had this realization that as an industry, companies could truly... Could they do well by doing good? Could we think about how to achieve our business goals and reach our customer base but do good for it on our way to doing it?
0: So, Kelsey, how about that for a start?
1: Oh, my goodness. Couldn't we? There's so many things to talk about in that. I'm sure our listeners, your heads are swirling with different ideas, and you can just get the inspiration from Amanda in that little clip. The first thing I wanted to talk about was this idea of, how much money is spent on advertising and marketing and how that's just talking about ourselves and how that's an unattract that, that's no one likes listening to someone else talk about themselves um and it really keyed in for me paul something we talk a lot about here this idea of blending versus balance and that was her whole mentality that was the aha for her was to say it doesn't have to be one or the other how do we actually get these to work together so that we're we're doing well by doing good.
0: Yeah. So I I, I too started my career in advertising and marketing, <laughs> right? And I was taught by my first real mentor, John Beardsley, that advertising generally is a shout, and that public relations is a conversation. And when you put the two together, you get someone's attention, get them talking about the right thing, that you actually can do things for good. So when I heard Amanda, it just Through all of my, my professional life back to when I was in my early twenties in these formative years, it was very, very exciting for me to make that connection with her. I also think that, um, the advice that she got from her professor or, you know, teacher age 17 that says, well, you need to go into this so you can make it good yourself. That call to action, you know we use the Carpe Diem mantra here quite a bit, but that's what that was all about. did, did you have any uh, reaction to that? Oh,
1: absolutely. yeah. It, it reminded me of a client that we've been working with where and this happens to all of us, but you kind of you can get stuck on your cycle of things and what we get to do as coaches is say, okay, so what, what are you going to do about it? what choice are you going to make?
0: Well, uh, we're off to a really good start. Uh, I I think we should rush ahead now and uh, listen to a little bit more about the small business revolution uh, programming that they created.
2: Yeah, it's fantastic. I'm now at a company called Deluxe, and this would be, I would say, um, the time when I was truly able to bring this uh, how do you do well by doing good mission to life. So at Deluxe, we're a 100-year-old company um, known for checks, and that's for good reason. Um, for over 100 years, we have been helping people reach their financial goals um, through um, helping them operate their business as well as run it. And so when I was brought in, um, the goal was, or the task at my feet was, how do you turn around a 100-year-old brand that's known for a legacy product that's in decline?
0: Okay, we got to cut in here. (laughs) Kelsey, you're giggling. Why?
2: Uh,
1: It's so embarrassing, but I'm going to be honest. So sitting in the breakfast today, uh, Amanda was talking about checks. The first thing that ran through my mind was, are you talking about the Czech Republic? Then I started thinking, are you talking about the cereal? It took me until she said it the fourth time, I think, to realize she meant the things that you write, you sign, and give people money with. So... Just want to clarify that for everyone else listening in case you're not sure.
0: Paper (laughs) checks that we write out for financial transactions. You know, it still happens. My wife still has a checkbook. (laughs) Uh, You know what? It's real. So, okay, Mm -hmm. let's just get back to our story.
2: Over the years, we had been evolving right alongside our customers. So while checks are a very important part of our business still today, that is not what our growth is focused on. Our growth is really focused on small business marketing and helping helping small businesses be more successful um, by growing and running their business. Um, So how do you turn around a 100-year-old check printers' um, brand perception? Um, One of the things I love to do whenever I start a new company is I like to go out and spend time with the customers. So I was spending time with small businesses, these were the customers that we wanted to reach. And when I was out spending time with small businesses, Paul talked about it earlier, when you meet a small business owner and you hear their story, you want to support them. I would be out and I would be meeting um, with the restaurant owner and I would um, be talking about why he started his business. And I would be hearing about how hard it was to run that business and I just knew that we had to tell their stories. We wanted to truly create a movement. We felt like if we could go out and tell the stories of small businesses, we could compel and inspire more people to support small businesses. Now, we were using our advertising dollars. So we had a very small budget, but still a budget focused on how do you grow your brand perception with small businesses. But instead of spending that on print or TV or on ads that were just about ourselves, we were spending it on telling the stories of small businesses in order to create more demand for supporting them. We were trying to achieve our business results, but we wanted to good, to do good for the very community we were serving. So in that first year, we went across the country and told the stories of 100 small businesses. And we brought these stories to, uh, to life through films and photo essays. And we did it in a really cinematic way. We hired a documentary company. And the fact that it was cinematic was part of the point. These are the hard-working small businesses that are creating the fabric of our economy, This country was built on the backs of small businesses. And we wanted to celebrate them and honor them with that cinematic quality. We wanted to tell their stories in a way that they had never been told before. And so after we went across the country telling these 100 stories, the momentum was huge. People were following along in social media. It was um, continuing to have this momentum. But one of the things that we noticed when we were going across the country telling the stories of small businesses is that nowhere are small businesses more under siege than in our small towns. And nowhere are they more critical. Who here is from a small town? A lot of people? When you tell people to visit this town that you're from, do you talk about the Walmart on the edge of town? <laughs> or do you talk about the diner and the, uh, and the uh, barber shop and the antique store that's been there for years? You talk about these small businesses that make your town unique. But with big box retailers moving on the edge of town, main streets being rerouted, uh, major highways coming in, these small town business owners are struggling. It's really hard to compete with national restaurant chains and the big brand budgets of these big box retailers. And so we wanted to do something about it. We wanted to take our storytelling a step further and go out and actually help the businesses as well. We wanted to tell their stories, but do something to help them thrive. And that's when the Small Business Revolution Main Street was born. Paul referenced it earlier. That's the show that we produce. We're in the third season of it. It's on Hulu and it streams online at smallbusinessrevolution.org. And in the show, each year we are proving the thesis that if you have a strong small business core, an entire town can thrive.
0: Okay, so there was the phrase that pays. This idea that we can thrive together is the underpinning of what we mean by goodness. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that backstory and I'd heard her say that before. And the way that they articulate how important small businesses are to commu- entire communities thriving together, it, it, it's the absolutely perfect story, in my opinion, for why goodness pays.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful message and purpose. And, I, you know, I, wa- I was thinking about you and what you had said about starting an advertising and put yourself in her shoes. You're coming into a legacy brand that you're trying to, that's in decline. I mean, what kind of, what things are going through your mind when you put yourself in that position?
0: Well, uh, later on, I got a chance to interview her in the morning and I asked her about that. We'll get to that in a second. But the, the immense challenges that we have in sort of breaking down people's preconceived perceptions of, you know, what a small business is, I I've Um, I have a legacy in my own family of small businesses, which makes it understandable why I have my own small business. And as I heard her talking about this, I thought, geez, I think I could use her help. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, I think what she uh, is is telling us about Mm. goodness and about getting beyond yourself to help other people is really powerful. And I think we should just keep listening. Let's do it.
2: We could be making ad campaigns right now that say, hey, you used to know us as a check printer, but now we do marketing. That's what every other company would do with their advertising budget. But instead, we are taking these dollars, we are going to real main streets across the US, and we are investing those dollars in real businesses, in real people, and we are changing their lives. And so I'm on a mission to prove that this model can work anywhere. It is not unreasonable to think that you don't have to always think about business as kind of for-profit and non-profit, and they're two very, very separate things. I think every company can think about what kind of audience you're trying to reach. And in your way to reaching them, how can you do good for that that industry? I am not talking about philanthropy. I'm not talking about employee volunteerism. If you're a big company, you should be giving away money. If you're a big company or a small company, employee volunteerism should be a core principle. I'm talking about using actual dollars that you might use to just be talking about yourself and do it to advocate for and change the lives of your customers. I think it's the right way to behave as people, as brands, as companies, and it's such a much more authentic way to reach them.
1: Paul, I want to get into advertising. Seriously, (laughs) I was so inspired hearing what she had to say that that, I mean, you, What a cool vision.
0: Yeah. So the key is that the way she sees it is that goodness and doing things that will help your customers is not about philanthropy. Mm -hmm. It's not about the fundraisers and things like that. It's not even about cause marketing. It's about getting into the minds of your customers and doing things for them that's going to make their life better. Yeah, And uh, it, it, it's an orientation that's about, it's an other's orientation, which you and I have said over and over and over again is at the core of what goodness means in leadership. I was just, uh, at the end of her prepared remarks, We that was pretty much it. I, I was just really, um, I had a deep sense of purpose and pride in having her come and tell that story through a leadership lens, mm-hmm. because normally she tells it sort of as an evangelist for small business and also as about sort of corporate transformations stories and she, as, in her role mm-hmm. as a chief marketing officer, but to hear it through a leadership lens, I, I heard it with a whole nother voice.
1: Yeah, ab- I can see that. And it, you asked some fantastic follow-up questions. I'm really excited about the first one. So let's jump to that. Yeah,
0: let me explain quickly that I get a chance to interview each one of the speakers uh, following a roundtable discussion, and she and I agreed ahead of time that I was just going to ask her kind of whatever was on my mind. So let's take a listen to the first question. Big shifts in big companies are really hard to do. How did you convince the executive team and the board that this is where we really needed to invest? Mm -hmm.
2: Um, it was a challenge for sure. Um, we're a very conservative company, and uh, we measure everything, as many companies do, right? So um, when I was brought in to kind of transform the brand, the company, and the business had already transformed. But how do we bring the brand along? How do we change those perceptions and raise the awareness? Um, when I said we're going to go from something that was is very very measurable, I mean we would measure you know every single email headline and efficacy of every you know little aspect, and I said, you know what we should do we should make beautiful films. <laughs> like, Oh, okay, well, how are you gonna measure that? I said, I can't, I won't be able to do that. And that was an interesting discussion. But um, you know, I report directly to our CEO, his name is Lee Schramm, and he um, uh, is definitely a visionary and saw kind of the, the benefit of this. And then I just made a very passionate speech to the board about like, do we just wanna be like all of our other competitors? I mean, our competitors are GoDaddy, Constant Contact, Vistaprint, these are spending giants. They outspend us about 14 to one. And I just um, talked a lot about how if we just do another ad campaign, we will just be a whisper in a competitive spend hurricane. We have to do something different. Our competitors are all so busy selling small business stuff. And it doesn't honor small businesses, it's noisy, and it's confusing. So we can stand all the way over here. We can own something completely different. No one else is trying to create a movement. No one else is trying to do something good for the small business community, we can own this space. And I think it was the ownership piece of it that really appealed to them. That um, if we just did something like all of our other competitors were doing, it would just it wouldn't even stand out because of our spend level. Um, that we just we needed to do something different. And I also really talked a lot about and I <laughs> promised, and luckily we were able to deliver that we could stretch our spend. I believed that if we did something that people wanted to spend time with that people would share it on our behalf. And social media certainly has done that for us. Earned media has done that. Since the inception of the small business revolution, we have over three billion impressions um, and we've had um, nearly 2,500 news stories written about it. And I don't care how good you are at PR, I probably could have gotten three stories written about the fact that Deluxe was turning 100.
0: So I have to just tell you, I was just so taken by her sitting next to her on the stool. She said so much energy and she was so whimsical and that really came alive. And when she said this phrase, we would just be a whisper in a competitive spend hurricane. I thought to myself, man, is she good. She, she struck <laughs> fear, that fear of being obsolete uh-huh. into the hearts and minds of the board and her executive team and says, you know what, um, with, this, with this courageous common sense Approach, you know, we can stand out this way. It, it, boy, we don't talk enough about courage in the context of good leadership and goodness.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, and the other thread I saw in that, uh, you and I coach people on influencing often. She, what a prime example of how to approach it, exactly how you said. You know, it, each person's going to do it in their own mm-hmm. authentic way. And I think she definitely did that. But it's exactly what you said it's, it's common sense. And she painted a, a picture for them about why. It made sense.
0: Yeah, a picture that was painted with passion. And and man, was she <laughs> underline, passionate. Underline. Yeah, well, um, mm-hmm. let's keep moving. The The next uh, question I asked her really kind of came from just this curiosity part of, of me being kind of a fan.
1: Yeah, so we get to hear her talk a little
2: bit about the show.
0: Mm-hmm. Let us inside that. What's the best part about producing this show.
2: Uh, the best part is that I play both roles behind the camera and on screen. So I don't know that I have ambitions to continue to do on screen if I wouldn't have the creative control that I mm-hmm. do on the show. So I know what we're trying to do, what the narrative is, the, the mission. Um, and so that's what makes it worthwhile. Mm-hmm. It's that I'm, just, I'm not just on screen to be talking. Mm-hmm. I have a mission while I'm on the screen. Um, I think what's, the only reason it really works, I mean, when I started Deluxe, the idea was not that we were gonna produce a reality show. That wasn't the, how this originally started. Um, uh, I think the only reason it works is because it's not scripted television. Mm-hmm. It's really reality. Um, and so all you have to do to be good at reality television is not care that there's a camera there. Like, that's the secret. Mm-hmm. So, and, I, and for some reason, that doesn't bother me. And so it's been a lot easier than I guess we would have thought. But um, it's really interesting, I mean, our, like I said earlier, our show is the number one lifestyle show on Hulu. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we're, you know, a hundred year old check printer producing something that competes with Biggest Loser and The Profit and, I mean, these shows that, like, their job is to create a show. Yeah. I've got a whole other day job and we're also producing uh-huh. a show that outperforms them like five to one. I mean, yeah. it's, it's um, uh, so anyway, so it's, it's fun. How amazing that a check company,
1: and now we all know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. Is producing a show that's outperforming shows made to be shows? I loved that line from her. I loved thinking about how the goodness of the show is what's driving it and what carries it for them.
0: Yeah, I would hope that if you haven't seen the show or people listening haven't seen the show, that they do it Mm because the show is as fun as she makes it seem. And um, I love the word fun. I am one of the people that teaches from a coaching standpoint that your best work happens when you're having fun and to see how excited and how often she used the words, it's fun. It's fun. It's fun. (laughs) It just, it's it's a very magnetic property in good leaders and people want to be a, they want to be a part of that kind of energy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have one more clip to go uh, before we uh, summarize our podcast. So um, I asked her the question, how has all of this changed your life?
2: Let's hear her answer. Um, It's, we talk about this on my team a lot. It's kind of, it, um, it's almost career ruining, right? Like, I, I don't want to work, I will not work for a corporation again that won't invest in something like this. And it won't always be a show, right? Like, that's just, the that is the execution of this. But I just refuse to work for a company that doesn't, think about how can you do more than just talk to your customers? How can you actually participate in their lives and make it better? How can you do well by doing good? And so it, it's really changed everyone on my team's like kind of expectations of, of who you work for mm-hmm. and, and it might be a little bit like that professor told me. I mean, I might have to go to a company that doesn't originally believe in it and I'm there to help bring that, that belief or, or that thought process to them. But um, it's, it's just changed my life in terms of realizing, I just think we're all on this planet to make each other's lives better. And whether that's like a daily affirmation, or a smile, or a helping hand, or putting money in a bucket, or going in and helping truly transform someone's business which affects their entire life, we're all here to move each other forward and make each other feel better and help. And so this has changed my life, to realize that you can do both things. I'm doing this for my job. I feel blessed, I feel so blessed. I get to help people through my job. My daughter says that a lot, doesn't just call it work. She says, you're going to help people. Mm-hmm. And I'm a corporate executive at a publicly traded company. And like, that's what she thinks I do. And I do. I love the phrase career ruining. It's probably
1: not the most positive way to spin that. But but I think what she's getting at is this expecting more from your employer. And I tied that to when we work with clients, sometimes, sometimes the groundswell is happening at that base level. Mm-hmm. And That can't happen unless people's expectations are changed and they're pushing for more. Um, And so I just, I love that idea of we expect more goodness from our employers.
0: Well, I stood with her at the end of the entire breakfast and I know there were three people who came up and basically gave her soft job offers. (laughs) By saying, "Hey, I got a place for you, man. We could really use you." And so, you know, the whole career ruining idea is, uh, you know, that's just another kind of phrase that pays. When you hear that, you just can't not ask, "What does she mean by that?" It Really captured our attention. I also think the idea that she framed it by saying, "I am a corporate executive in a publicly held company, and I get to do this." That kind of enthusiasm mm. and sense of purpose is rare. And I felt lucky to share the same air with her today. Me too. Okay, Kelsey, this is the Carpe Diem section of our podcast. What actionable insights did you get that you can take away from this?
1: Yeah. The line I just keep coming back to is, don't wait for blank, insert your advertising, to be good. Go into it and make it good yourself. So think about what that specific action that you can do to make your space better looks like.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's perfect. And so I'm fascinated on the whole thrive together concept that's at the core of the goodness message. And when she starts right away by say, saying, I'm here all about doing well by doing good. So I I I am a business owner. And I think of the good leadership breakfast itself as one of those things that we are doing on behalf of our clients. It's not something that we make money at. We pour the money right back into it to make it better. But as I sat there interviewing her, I thought to myself, you know, we could be even more intentional with our charitable dollars. We could be even more intentional about getting our clients engaged. We could be more intentional about doing services for boards of directors of nonprofits where our clients are very involved. So uh, we are going to do something differently about that because of Amanda Brinkman. Okay, so now as we close our podcast, what's the phrase we want everyone to think about?
1: Goodness pays.
0: Yes, goodness pays. Thank you very much for investing the time, whether you're exercising or whether you're on a long commute or maybe um, on an airplane. We really appreciate the fact that you gave us your attention, and we hope that you'll help us spread goodness. Please tell a friend. So this is the end of our spring 2018 podcast where we feature the speakers of the Good Leadership Breakfast. This summer, we'll be podcasting some of the people who've been involved in the process of building our Goodness Pays book project, which we should be launching sometime in the October timeframe of 2018. So stay tuned. There's more coming.